Live from this is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his head. Follow me. Follow me to freedom. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to today's episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast with New York Sports Talk and Long Suffering Fan. Your host, Mike Phillips. I got a good show for you this week. We are back on the football beat. We're doing some Jets cam cover this week. I'm be joined by Justin Freed of the Jet Press. We're going to talk about the Jets. There's a lot going on here in New York. I mean, Zach Wilson's critical second training camp. Mekhi Becton goes down for the season. We'll talk about all that with Justin in just a bit. We're also going to stay in the football. We're talking a little hard knocks. The season premiere came out last Tuesday. Detroit Lions, this team of focus this year. During our pop culture correspondent, Sandra, we're going to recap the premiere, talk a little bit about what's going on there, as well as the HBO Max thing, which I've not been following it. It's pretty crazy what's going on with that service, which is a disappointment as well. We'll talk about that at the end of the show. If you want good stuff like this podcast, feel free to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, Google Play. Just search for Just End the South on your favorite podcast platform to find all episodes there. Feel free to your feedback and starring as well. And with the podcast even better going forward. Again, means a lot. Leave that review. Leave some star ratings. Help you find the podcast if you like what you're hearing here. Let's check out the YouTube page, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Video version of every conversation in the episode will be up on the YouTube channel. Again, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Without any further ado, we're going to get to our opening tip. We're going to finish our coverage of the captain. Phil Fred is going to join you to recap the final episode, episode number seven of the captain coming up right after this. Three, two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. All right, we are back here talking the captain on the podcast, wrapping up our coverage of the series with episode seven, which aired on Thursday night. I figured I began the captain coverage with one Fred. I'm bringing the other one in to wrap it all up. Phil Fred is here this night. Phil, how are you? Uh, I'm good, Mike. How are you? Pretty good. I got to start out here. I said, now we've seen the entire thing, all seven episodes. How do you feel about what we got? I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I thought it was great for a Yankee fan, though. So I, I'm not sure if the non-Yankee fan really got much out of it, but the Yankee fan, especially the Yankee fan my age, I'm 33 years old. So I came into baseball just as Derek Eater came into baseball. So uh, for someone my age, it was perfect. Exactly what I wanted to see. Yeah, I got to say, for most of this thing, I was kind of in and out. I, the last I was the, the – so the, I feel like we got a lot of interesting stuff. We don't really – we never, wasn't really expecting to get here. So I was happy with how they ended it. Yeah, the last episode I learned a lot about uh, Jeter that I that I never knew because his despite him being such a big name, his uh, his private life has remained private even after retirement. Yeah, we'll get more into all this stuff in a minute here too. I also want to I'm also impressed at how much they went to the Marlins stuff too. I was not expecting that to be as huge a topic as it was in this episode. Yeah, I was. I figured they were just kind of brush that off, but uh, he, to his credit, addressed it head on. Yeah. So uh, it was it was interesting to hear. Yeah, and on night of recording here, we are recording on Sunday night during the Yankee Red Sox game here. Derek Jeter was on the 
K-Rod cast for about half an hour with uh, A-Rod and Michael K. We both check us out here. Anything interesting coming up to you from that conversation? Eh, no, nah, nah, I, I can't really say anything that I found to be too interesting came out. Uh, obviously, both of them tried to downplay the the their severity of their rift over the years, and I expected that. Uh, so, no, I, nothing too interesting. Uh, it's nice to see Jeter and A-Rod in the same room, and I think we all kind of expected that the um, the rift was played up by the media a lot. Yeah, I'd say two things I noticed from that coming out of it. Number one, I thought it was interesting that Jeter basically said he did it for his ki- for his kids so his daughters could see this one day, and that was the reason why he agreed to do it. And also, I also thought it was interesting that he asked A-Rod beforehand to beat in it personally, so I thought that was something I didn't expect that we get right away. Yeah, yeah, that that was interesting. And I, I actually get where Jeter's coming from with that. Uh, you know, um, without getting too personal, I have young kids and uh, I have a Derek Jeter figurine. Um, and my son, you know, asked me who that is. And, and it occurred to me that, well, he doesn't know who Derek Jeter is. And uh, Derek Jeter's kids, they know, they don't know Derek Jeter, the ball player. So I, I understand where he's coming from there. And I think that maybe the documentary is a good way for, especially for a Yankee fan to introduce the younger generation into the Derek Jeter era. Yeah, for sure. I also thought the other thing that came out was obviously they, Michael K had a good question at the end about like the old timers, a situation. Jeter said basically like, Hey, like I'm not concerned myself an old timer yet. Like I don't want to play in the game basically said, but like never say never. So he'll show up one day. Hey, Robbie said, I've not been invited by the Yankees. So I think that's not surprising me. I'm curious if that will change anytime soon. Yeah, look, uh, I think that's if the Yankees really aren't inviting a Rod to old timers games, then the Yankees are, in my opinion, not doing it right. Uh, I know that they had a a falling out. I know it wasn't the best relationship ever, but I think that the fans would appreciate seeing a Rod. Uh, at least I know I would. This is a guy who you know, he he delivered two MVPs and and a World Series ring that he was single-handedly largely responsible for that postseason he was just off the charts good so uh to me you know if you're going to invite guys like you know, the, the Shane Spencers of the world I don't understand why you can't invite Alex Rodriguez I feel like this is one they I think they might soften their stance over time maybe you can see maybe like five years they say oh now it's time to bring A-Rod back I think the way any of them is still too fresh in their minds then to get over themselves like, okay A-Rod can come tonight come to it this year yeah, maybe, maybe. Uh, I do agree with Jeter, though, that, that I think him and A-Rod are probably a little too young for old-timers day anyway right now. Yeah, I mean, David Wright basically said the same thing for the Met one they're bringing back this year. He said, I'm too I'm too young for this thing. It's like, like I will do one in the future. It's not right now. Yeah, I think I think that I agree with. But uh, if I was the Yankees, you know, I'd, I'd want A-Rod back in the stadium. I think, I think overall he's a guy who, controversial, sure, but I think the fans would appreciate seeing him. Yeah, I do too. Let's get to the captain here. And obviously, where they left off, episode six, they didn't leave as much left with him. We said most of, basically, fast forward through 14, got the Jeter's final game here. Anything from that little bit, like, catch your attention here? Well, just g- going into from six to seven, uh, I I noticed how, and, and I don't think they were wrong to do this, they kind of jumped from the broken ankle at the end of 2012 to basically his last game in 14. And that's probably right because at least, at least the way I have always viewed it, that, that night he broke his ankle was kind of the real end of Derek Jeter as we knew him. And uh, I knew he did the retirement tour and 
and I know why he did it. Uh, that that jumped out to me. I know I know that's leaning on to episode six now, but his idea of hey, I want to go out on my own terms. I don't want the Yankees to force me out. I thought that was interesting. Uh, but I but I like the way in the documentary that they kind of just glossed over what was a forgettable season for Jeter and and really. We all know he shouldn't have been there. It was just Tim not wanting to go out laying on the ground with a broken ankle. Yeah, that's for sure. And I did think it was interesting. He basically admitted it like this is the first time his crew was actually nervous for a game in terms of like, oh, like I didn't want this moment to find me. And it does. He still comes through anyway. I thought that was pretty, pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, that, that whole situation, uh, I, I did thought, think it was, uh, I was surprised to see Buck actually. I was surprised that Buck was, uh, was interviewed there and, and, kind of admitted that, uh, you know, I know I should have walked him, but I didn't walk him because it was his last game. Yeah, I believe the blind Buck said basically like, like we wanted to actually be able to leave the stadium that night. So I give credit yeah. to him. Buck is, knows the uh, situation. Because watching it live, I mean, you were like, they're really going to pitch to this guy. And I know that at that time, Jeter was a shell of himself and he, he wasn't the kind of player to be getting intentional walks. But the situation called for an intentional walk there. Uh, but I credit Buck for understanding the situation, knowing it was bigger than the game and doing what he did. It's funny, it's the exact opposite of what the Yankees themselves did against, against the Tigers late in the in early this season when Miguel Cabrera was coming up for a chance for a 3,000 hit and Aaron Boone intentionally walked him in a spot where like he could have pitched. Him, I remember so. that. I was watching that game, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the one difference I guess I'll give you is uh, in, in that game, that was an early in the season game. You don't know what's going to happen. By by this point in 2014, I, if uh, the Yankees were, I believe, eliminated, and uh, I think Baltimore had, if they weren't eliminated, they they weren't going anywhere either. But it was a kind of a meaningless game. Yeah, that's true here. And then we do sort of get into Jeter post retirement, and I did think it was like interesting to see Jeter let take us into what it was like for him to be a family man and how he always wanted to have girls and all that stuff. So I thought that was a nice insight to a side of Jeter we never see publicly because he's. Even said it on the K Rock cast, and he's like, I'm a private guy. I want to keep stuff private. So, big of him to show this to the audience here in the last episode. Yeah, yeah. They really showed a lot uh, about his family life. And uh, I, I had no idea the kind of issues his wife went through to, to give birth to, to his the children. Uh, so, that was, that was interesting and, and scary, really, to see her, him, her and him both put that out there for the public. Uh, about how sounds like how close she was to really passing away. Uh, so, so that's, uh, it's definitely out of character for Jeter to put that out there. But, but I guess, like he said tonight, the, the purpose of this is for his kids to one day watch it. Yeah, he did. It's a good point. And we do see also plenty of like a good, good reflection of his parents. who say, Oh, like how Jeter is become sort of like what they did. And they did open the episode with another family note and talk about how, like when he, he was kids, like he and his parents had like a contract they fill out. Like he has to do all these things in order to play sports and so on. It's to sort of see how they influence how he becomes the father. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, Cheater is a obviously, you know, you've heard the the fairy tale and and all that, but but to me, the the thing about Cheater that really stands out and you're never going to see again, unfortunately, is uh, youth sports are so much different now. Uh, there's just no way that a kid like that would even stay in Kalamazoo public school. You know, a talent like that, uh, they would have moved him off to some private school in Florida so he could play baseball year round. Uh, and in today's 
youth sport arena where they're specializing kids when they're eight years old. So to see a guy like Jeter, you know, public school in the middle of nowhere in Michigan playing baseball, that's, uh, and putting things before baseball academics, uh, and, and stuff like that. That's, that's something that I don't think we're going to see very much anymore. Yeah, because if eight-year-old Derek Jeter is coming up today in County Michigan, he would have been spied like an AAU coach. He would have been recruited to play on travel teams all summer long. And then it was it, oh, like, you're right, go go down to Florida, play at IMG Academy, and, like, play there for three years before you get drafted, as opposed to, like, him staying in the Michigan public school system for the rest of his uh, uh, teenage years. Absolutely. That's the way it works now. And uh, and you wouldn't, you know, you it's rare now, that all too, that you'd have a parent who says, all right, I want you to focus on school rather than, Hey, this, this my kid's got a chance. Uh, we got to focus on baseball. Yeah, absolutely. Here, and we did get a little bit on Jeter reaching the Hall of Fame, and Jeter did say on the K Ride conversation tonight that basically the impetus for this is like he had people in the room to film the call, which he saw in the episode. They did a good job cutting between that and the footage of him getting the call from the Yankees being drafted. Here, I did think it was interesting that they didn't really try and drag the one writer who didn't vote for him, which is. Something I think Joe Chow brought out last week. I didn't drag the writer who didn't vote him six for the MVP and cost him that in 2006. So Jeter said personally, I remember he says like, I don't really, doesn't really bother me as much. Like it's really hard to get consensus to get everybody on board of it. So I thought it was interesting to talk about it in the K-Ross, but not in the actual episode. Yeah, well, uh, you know, with the, I, I think there's two things there. The, the, the MVP situation was uh in my opinion just that that was i don't want to say worse but less defensible uh because if i if i recall that guy put him sixth uh you know said came out with some comment about how he had no idea what his numbers were for the year so that that's just a guy not doing his job the hall of fame situation is as i'm sure a lot of your listeners know uh i don't agree with it but for some reason, the baseball writers have determined that nobody deserves the fame of 100%, except Mariano Rivera, that they decided that they'd let Mariano in with 100%. So can't be stunned that Jeter didn't get the 100%. Uh, of course, I don't think anybody could in good faith tell you Derek Jeter's not a first ballot Hall of Famer. Of course he was. But uh, for whatever reason, the writers have held on to that stupid rule over the years. Yeah, and I mean, seeing the call itself was cool and seeing the backstory behind it, how Jeter was sitting like, oh, you know, I'm expecting a call. And then, like, his mom is there. He's like, oh, like, should I call you at this point or something like that? That was that was fun to watch. Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, I was surprised, too, to see Jeter really show – he was, you know, for his entire career, team, 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 team. It's all I care about is the team. All I care about is winning. He let himself show uh, – little bit there with the hall of fame and how grateful he was to be inducted into the hall of fame and you know you can't obviously can't blame the guy for that uh, that that's a tremendous tremendous accomplishment yeah not like i think it's like you're in the hundreds of players all time if you've have been if you're inducting the cooperstown this is not this is not a uh, big fraternity yeah yeah and he uh you could tell that he truly appreciated it uh more so than jeter in my opinion ever let on as a player that that, that was something that he cared about they the Ironically, uh, A-Rod seems like he was the one who was probably growing up dreaming of the Hall of Fame, and now they'll likely never get that that honor. Yeah, and Michael K also did ask you about the uh, one writer didn't put him in the Hall of Fame on the first ballot, and he said, hey, it was my fault I didn't find it. And I think G made a point there. It was like, 
it doesn't really matter the fact that like I didn't get 100. percent The thing that bothered me more is that like no accountability, which I you and I have railed against this all the time. It's like, and I think a lot of writers do feel this way. It's like if you're not gonna put that vote in, like put make your ballot public and own it. Don't just hide behind an anonymity. I, I agree. Yeah, come out and explain why you believe that the 100 percent rule needs to be ad- adhered to in in 2022 or 2020 whenever that vote was casted uh, explain that to us because uh i don't get it i don't think you get it you know i've heard some arguments in the past of well if you know if ted williams wasn't a 100 guy how could Derek Jeter be well ted williams should have been you know in my opinion we shouldn't just keep repeating the same mistake over and over and over again yeah uh, so i was happy to see the writers realize it with mariano but hopefully more players get that 100% number. Yeah, I mean, it's the argument, oh, Babe Ruth didn't get 100% induction, therefore nobody can. I think it's a stupid argument because like, that's not, it's not your fault that somebody in the 1930s didn't vote Babe Ruth first ballot Hall of Fame. Someone made a mistake in the 1930s. They, people made a lot of mistakes in the 1930s. Uh, you know, the documentary touches on this a lot. Uh, baseball obviously has a bad history with race. And those were mistakes that people made in the 1930s. I don't think we should keep repeating mistakes that uh, people made in the past. Yeah, for sure. And we did a little bit on the Players' Tribune as well, which is Jeter's company. And considering we spent a lot of documentary talking about how Jeter felt the media was mischaracterizing like Kate Hollins of his career, important to mention here that he does found this as his sort of outlet to have players have a direct voice to the general public here. And this is something that's still going well this day. You know, I don't think he's actively involved with it anymore. That, that was... Uh, I don't remember who said it in the documentary. I think it was Verducci about how just how brilliant it was for Jeter to do that. Uh, it, it really it took a power that Jeter has always believed the media had and took it away from them. You know, now now if a if a writer says, "Well, player X thinks Y," player X can say, "No, I don't," and uh, and here's what I actually think. Players Tribune will publish it, and Twitter helps with that too, of course, but. Uh, but yeah, I, I I think the players' tribune is a, a good good source for understanding what what do players really believe. Yeah, it's true. It's certainly a good thing. Especially like a lot of these like athletes, especially when they're making free agencies in the NBA, have gone to use the players' tribune a lot. So I think valuable source there. Also, I think the most interesting part of the documentary, like in this episode, was Jeter's pursuit of ownership with the Marlins, and we get some background on how like the relationship with Bruce Sherman was basically just a shotgun married oh like i need a guy who's got money here's money i mean this is seeing like all the work that jeter had going on trying to rebuild that organization while at the same time deal with a lot of like intense personal drama in his family life yeah absolutely and i thought that the documentary makers did a good job there of understanding who the audience is so and what i mean by that is you know this is not a, a documentary that's airing on cnbc so I think it's hard for the average guy to realize, obviously Derek Keeter is very well off financially, but he is nowhere near wealthy enough to buy a baseball team. And, and they try to make that clear that he's, he's yeah, he's rich, but you know, there, there's a whole different level when you start talking about guys like Sherman. So uh, the documentary makes that clear that Keeter kind of needed a guy like that. And it's a, uh, obviously unfortunate how it ended yeah it is because basically g i think says like maybe something i didn't think about as much of my career in terms of making these connections and he basically gets lumped together they buy the marlins have to do a fire sale immediately and 
they do a good job sort of like restocking the farm system and Gia's doing good community outreach. And then we get to the point where he basically says like, I left because their vision for how they wanted to run the team disagree with my vision of it. And we've heard, we talked about this, I think back in March when news first had basically the reports were that Jeter wanted them to spend a little more money trying to be competitive and the owners did not want to do that. So it makes sense that Jeter pulled himself out of that situation. Cause he said, basically like, I don't want my name beyond a brand is not prioritizing winning. Like I would. Yeah. Uh, we, we talked about that back in March uh, on this podcast, uh, Jeter, you know, he, he wants to win. And, uh, and I respected him for, for saying, I'm not going to be a part of this, uh, this, uh, this, charade that's really what it is it's a, it was a it's a charade down there. there there's no interest in winning uh you know 2020 was a building block for them i know they had a down year in 21 but and you know mike you see more of the marlins than i do they, they've got some really really good young arms on that team and they, they should be surrounding those young arms with talent but they're not but but they're not and i'm sure that those young arms will be traded uh, in a few years, some other contenders like the Yankees or probably not the Mets because they're in the division, but the Dodgers and so on and so forth. Yeah, because, I mean, you look at the way the Marlins <laughs> are built right now. I mean, they have a lot of intriguing process on the pitching side. I mean, they brought San- – they, they even really mentioned the Marcelo Zuna trade because he's a controversial play- figure there. But Sandy Alcantara is one of the pieces they got back in that trade. He's been a, he's an AL, the NL Cy Young frontrunner. They have a lot of young pitching there. They have some good pieces in the minors, but, like, it's an organization where they literally is begging for like just a couple of bats to like be invested at the big level. And Derek Jeter didn't want to do that, but the Marlins at this at this point did not want to spend more money because I think they are still concerned about their books, and that's the big separator here. Yep, uh, and it's it's a shame because they they really do have some young talent. Uh, that like when um, drawing a blank on his name now, but uh, pitching the All Star game, Alcantara. Alcantara, yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, he was unbelievably impressive I, I as an american league fan i don't see much of these guys but i saw him in the all-star game and i immediately recognized that guy's special yeah that guy is gonna win the nl cy young award this year okay yeah, he probably will uh, and deserves it absolutely so that's basically where we left it here and like he left it open end about what he could do next i mean k-rod asked about it on the broadcast tonight he said like I don't know yet. I got ideas. I got time. I'm trying to raise my daughters right now. So I think for where it is in terms of where he is in his life, I feel like this is pretty complete. I don't think you have many more like public, like facing chapters for Jeter going forward here. No, I I would imagine. uh, Look, I don't know if he's going to try and get back in baseball or not. Uh, It sounds, seems like he's pretty content just being a family man. Um, I think you're right. I think the only public facing things you're really going to see are, those few times that he makes his return to Yankee stadium uh, in September. I know he's, they got a Derek Jeter tribute night. I'll be there. I've got a ticket. Uh, so he'll be there and um, I'm sure they'll bring him around. Uh, hopefully, hopefully they get to a point where they can bring him around once a year. Like they were able to do with Mantle and Yogi and Whitey Ford and guys like that. I think, uh, I think that'd be great for, for the fans. Yeah, I'm sure eventually, like, I mean, Michael K. brought up to him on, the, on there. He's like, hey, you don't have to play in the old timers game. You can just you do the uh, Joe DiMaggio, show up in the suit and wave everybody and just hang out. You don't have to actually play in the game. I could see that being a possibility a couple of years. Yeah, I think, and, and if you're the Yankees, I think that you want to be in a situation where, you know, you're getting 
Jeter and Posada and Mariano and Andy and Bernie and Tino, and you get these guys to show up year after year, even if, uh, ideally playing, but but certainly just show up and let the let the what are now, like I said, the, the fans like me who are now passing the game on to the next generation. That's uh, that's how you do it. Things like old timers day. Yeah, and let's look take a look at it. Now we got the complete product here. You got in all seven episodes. Like, how would you grade this thing? How do you think this documentary stacks up? Well, I think you gotta give it two grades. I think there's the Yankee fan grade and there's the everybody else grade. So for, for the Yankee fan, I think it's an A. It's it's everything the Yankee fan wants. Uh, but for for the the average guy, I'd say somewhere in the B, B plus range. Um so, you know, to, to the Yankee fan, there's, there's just nothing better than watching 96, 98, 99, just the, the, the dominance, the, like they say in the documentary, the every break always managing to go their way. The team up Perez doesn't run. The ball doesn't go over the fence. Luis Soho hits the five hopper, but it goes up the middle. Uh, it doesn't go to the shortstop, all, all that stuff. Uh, Jeffrey Mayer reaches over and Mark Langston strikes out Tino, but they call it a ball, so on and so forth. So uh, I think seeing that stuff over and over again is, is uh, you never, never gets old as a Yankee fan, especially a a Yankee fan my age who has those memories as as a childhood. Yeah. I think on my side, as a non-Yankee fan, I think going into this one, I was going to say C plus, I figure it's fine. It's passable. Like there's not a lot here, but, we got enough new stuff here in terms of like stuff that like uh, the director Randy Wilkins did a good job getting out of Jeter. Some of these things, I think it's a B. I think it's fine. It's never it was not going to be the last dance. Never going to be the last dance, but I think it's solid. I mean, obviously there's stuff I would like to see him explore more, but with creative control being in the Jeter camp and having his agency heavily involved in it too, like I can't say some stuff. I'm not surprised that it's not addressed much more. Yeah, the, the last episode is the one where I feel like you learn the most about Derek Jeter. The first six, uh, I don't know. Uh, there, there were a couple of stories here and there that I didn't know. Like, for instance, I had never heard the A-Rod went over him to him in the rain delay story. Uh, that was the first time I ever heard that. Uh, but for the most part, you kind of knew what was going to happen, right? <laughs> you yep. knew that the Yankees are going to win in 1998. Everything goes great. And, uh, you know, he's Mr. November and the the bunt and the, they throw the ball over Mariano throws the ball away, all, all that stuff. So uh, I, I, I agree with you on that. We didn't learn a whole ton until the last episode, but I think in the last episode, we learned enough to push it into that B category. Yeah. Cause my issue throughout was also like, we sort of, we lost a lot of like Derek Teeter's like shortcomings on the playing field in terms of like, we didn't really ask him about what happened, like how it felt when the guys left in all one that he basically grew up with for the most part. And you ask him sort of like, what happened those years from like 04 to like 09 to 08 when they didn't really win. Like there was stuff we just didn't ask him about that bothered me, but like getting what we got to in the episode seven did help a lot. Yeah, I agree. And, and that did bother me too. I did that. That was probably the thing about the documentary I disliked the most was the just complete gloss over from the 05, 06, 07, 08, and even 09 seasons 09 they kind of just fast forwarded to the playoffs uh and, and but yeah I, I thought that was a little bit of a gloss over i i think it was 
worthwhile to talk about those seasons and what and what happened. Uh, and, and but you know that kind of was kind of glossed over. Yeah, all seven episodes of the documentary now out on ESPN Plus. So you have that service. You can sign up, see them live there. I think if you do not have ESPN Plus, I think it's like on the website. I think that you could have to watch. I think like with commercials. I think ESPN Plus works without commercials. So if you want to check it out. Especially if you're a Yankee fan, I would recommend it. You will have a fun trip down Nostalgia Lane if you have not checked it out already. Yeah, if you're a Yankee fan who was born in the late 80s, early 90s, you 1,000, or Yankee fan born ever, but especially in that time period, you 1,000% should watch it. Uh, these are, for me, you know, that it's just reliving memories all the way from 95, Edgar Martinez, to the last walk-off hit. Uh, I remember all of it, so. Absolutely, Phil. Thanks for all the time. Really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Mike. All right. Mike Phillips here. Before we get to our interview with Justin Free, I just want to point out that I spoke to him last week on Thursday before the first Jets preseason game. Obviously, before Zach Wilson gets hurt, we have a stretch on Friday night where a lot of fans and Twitter personnel are saying, oh, is he done for the season? He might have torn ACL. Turns out he's got a meniscus injury. He is out two to four weeks getting surgery tomorrow on the date, on the date this podcast is in your feed. So Jets dodge a bolt there. We recorded this before that injury happens. I'm going to put that out there as context for the interview. So you guys know that we talk about Zach Wilson, obviously we're not anticipating he's getting hurt. So just keep that in mind. This conversation goes on, but the rest of it's still pretty good. So without any further ado, let's go to our conversation with Justin Freed. Wilson takes a snapshot of the defense. Here they come on third and five. Wilson, boy, somehow escapes. He's going to run for it. First down, Jets. Wilson, plenty of green grass. Wilson stays in bounds. He's still going. And he's in. Touchdown. Zach Wilson pulling a magic trick. First signature play for Zach Wilson in his career so far with New York. Jacksonville brings a blitz. They should have had him. He ducks. He gets out of it, makes a good play, and then stays aggressive. Could have gone out of bounds right there. Decides to cut back. And what an awesome play. All right, we are back here on the Justin the Suffering podcast. That call you guys heard, courtesy of CBS Sports, the Spirit Diaz and Adam Archula, the Zach Wilson 50-yard touchdown run against the Jacksonville Jaguars last year. Join me today for Jets Week on the podcast. the editor of the Jet Press over at Fansided, Justin Freeze here. Justin, how are you? going on man how you doing i appreciate you having me on Not problem. thanks for coming on here i gotta say it's been a very interesting offseason with the jets here i mean they had a lot of cap space a lot of picks they did a lot of things obviously i feel like they got a lot of work done i feel like it's a big excitation increase on them this year absolutely i, I think this has been a very successful offseason for the jets they've kind of built the roster in exactly the way that, that they should have and there's a lot of optimism of course with the jets it's always cautious optimism you never want to be be too optimistic about the team but i think that there are plenty of logistical reasons to look at this roster and say hey you know if zach wilson takes that step they can compete this year yeah, absolutely and right now i think the number one question for the jets right now is how zach wilson is going to look this year and i feel like it's been up and down camping from what i've been seeing here where some days he looks great some days he's struggling the lines had some issues in there but what have you what have you seen so far about zach wilson what do you think here you think you got like we gave more time like you worried yet and what are your signs about zach I think overall it's been a good camp. Uh, I think he's he's shown progress throughout the summer, and and he's strung together more good days than bad days, and that's that's really all you're looking for from a, from a young quarterback, uh, you know, at this stage of his career. Uh, ultimately, I don't have a crystal ball. Like I don't know how he's going to play this year, but 
there's, you know, the excuses are limited. I, even with the Mekhi Becton injury, of course, they went out and they just signed Dwayne Brown on the day that we're recording this. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's, there's few excuses for him. He has a good offensive line on paper. He has a skill position group that is you know, very much respectable. Uh, the defense is significantly approved. There are very few excuses for him not to take a step forward this year. Will he do it? I don't know. I, I think we've seen progress throughout training camp, which is encouraging. And I think his second year in the system should provide, you know, for, for, or it should be advantageous for him. It should be good for, for Michael Floor having another, you know, a year under his belt as a play caller, which should only serve to benefit Zach Wilson too. So I'd like to believe that he could take that step. Will it be the step forward that, that you know, that Jets fans want to see? I'm not sure, but I do think, I'm confident in saying I think he'll be better this year. Yeah, I mean, I feel like compared to what they did with Sandar, which is an absolute disaster, they've done much better with Wilson. They gave him pretty much everything you could ask for. They gave him lines, they gave him creative play caller, they got weapons here. So, like, barring another rash of injuries that takes everything away from him, you can really say that the Jets of 2022, if they do not succeed, is really on Zach Wilson at that point. Yeah, I, they, they've done exactly they've done exactly the opposite of what they did with Sam Darnold. And, and you know, and with Darnold every year, uh, you know, every year that went on, they kind of stripped away more of his roster from around him and, and put him in a worse situation to succeed in every year. Uh, so they, and they've done the exact opposite now with Zach Wilson, where you know the roster had plenty of holes last year. On top of that, they they hit, got hit with a, a, a rash of injuries. Like they were the second most injured team in the NFL, behind only the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, and it, it really took a toll because when you have a young team like the Jets, a young rebuilding team, it's hard to build depth. Uh, and, and unfortunately, they didn't have a lot of depth last year. Joe Douglas changed that this offseason. They went out and they got not only good starters in a lot of important positions, but they have depth at pretty much every position on the on the team right now, maybe with the exception of offensive tackle and you know maybe you could point to defensive tackle. But they have depth. They have depth to survive injury. Uh, but they have that depth. And like you said, you know, there's, 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 the excuses are kind of gone for Zach Wilson now. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens this year. Yeah, for sure. And obviously the story of camp this week is the Mekhi Bactic injury. He fractures his kneecap on a freak injury. He's out for the season. They bring in Dwayne Brown on the day recording convention earlier here. This is a, I think it's a very important sign for them because the offensive line has been getting better. And the Lake and Tomlinson move in the offseason was definitely a big help. But now you brought in two Pro Bowlers with Dwayne Brown here. I feel like, this line has a chance to be very, very, very good. Absolutely. I mean, if, if they all live up to expectations, if they play to the, to the level that, that the Jets believe they can and that we believe they can, there's no reason the Jets offensive line shouldn't be a borderline top 10 unit, if not better. Because uh, they already were, were around league average last year. They were an average to some metrics even had an, an, an above average offensive line last year. And that was with a, a, a hole at right guard. Even when, when Duvernay Tardif took over for, for Greg Van Roten, it was still a hole at right guard and it's still a weakness. Uh, now you bring in Lake and Tomlinson to play left guard. You're moving Elijah Vera Tucker to right guard. Of course, the the question mark the last few days has been right tackle. They're bringing in Dwayne Brown, and and I, it's not confirmed, but the assumption is that that means George Fant moves to right tackle. We'll see if that's confirmed by the time you know people are listening to this. But uh, you know, either way, now you have five stars along an offensive line who have played at an average, if not better, uh, level in their careers and are coming off good seasons. All five of them are coming off productive seasons. Uh, you know, and I think with the, especially with Elijah Vera Tucker, the Jets really expect him to take that step. He was fine last year. He had some, some rookie, you know, rough patches, which is to be expected, but they really believe that he can be a Pro Bowl guard. And I think they're hoping to see a, a step from him. That offensive line looks good on paper. It looks very good. It does. It also looks good to see what Wilson we'll left on paper. Going back to the San Darnold, I remember there were games throwing to some combination of like Andre Roberts, Deontay Burnett, like a very uninspiring group of receivers. Now he's got. 
So Jack Wilson has a bunch of good receivers. So the number one pick, Garrett Wilson. They have Corey Davis. They have a good tight end room for ones with Tyler Conklin and CJ Uzama leading the way. They have a deep running back stable here. I feel like for once, the Jets actually have playmakers. Absolutely. I, they, they have completely revamped that skill position group over the last two years. They, they brought in Elijah Moore, Garrett Wilson, Corey Davis as your top three wideouts. That's a very strong uh, uh, you know trio of wide receivers at the top of that depth chart. The hope is that Elijah Moore can be that number one guy going forward. Uh, we saw flashes of it last year for like a six-week period or whatever it was. He was statistically one of the best wide receivers in the NFL, and then unfortunately, you know, he got hurt. Uh, but they're really they're really excited to see what he can do, especially entering his second year in this system, a system that is notoriously difficult for young wide receivers to pick up, uh, which is why with someone like Garrett Wilson, you might see him take a little bit of time to adjust uh, to the NFL to adjust to the system. But either way, you have your you're four deep at wide receiver if you throw in Braxton Berrios. You're three deep at tight end because, you know, assuming that Jeremy Ruckert can do something, you know, can provide something as a rookie. Um, I'm very, very impressed with what Tyler Compton has been able to do this spring and this summer. And I think he's going to have a big role in the offense. And then you throw in a guy like Brees Hall who could catch out of the backfield. They have a lot of talent in that skill position group. And that's, you know, it's only going to serve to benefit Zach Wilson going forward. Yeah, I remember in years past, a lot of times is you never take a jet in your fantasy draft because they were always end up killing your team. But now there's like I feel like a lot of options you could take that you feel actually feel comfortable with. Right. I think it's it's, it's funny because it's almost the, the opposite effect now. It's like, oh, I'm not sure I want to take a jet because they're going to spread the ball around so much. You know, it's like they have too many options almost. Uh, so, you know, I'd love to, to draft a guy like Corey Davis, but realistically, he might be the third or fourth option in that offense, you know? Uh, so it's, it's hard to, to even put too much stock maybe into anybody but you know, Elijah Moore or, or, you know, Brees Hall, I guess Brees Hall will get his touches. I think that's someone you could safely put a lot of fantasy stock into, but you know, it's difficult. There's just, there's so many options. Like you said. Yeah. The one I would put my hat on here is if you're pumping tight end Tyler Conklin, I think considering he's had a huge connection with Wilson throughout camp and throughout the off season, I feel like he's a guy to explode this year. Absolutely. And I, I definitely think that he's going to be, he's going to emerge as that top tight end. I think, you know, when the Jets signed Uzama and Conklin, a lot of people assumed Uzama was going to be the guy just, he had more experience as a starter. Uh, I believe they gave him a smidge more money. So a lot of people were kind of thinking Uzama was the guy, but Conklin has kind of made it very clear quickly that he is he is not only going to be probably the, the top tight end in New York, but he is uh, you know going to be one of Zach Wilson's top targets. I wouldn't be surprised if he finished as the, the Jets' second leading receiver behind you know saying Elijah Moore. I, I would not be surprised at all. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to take a look here at some of these rookies coming in here because the Jets had a huge draft. They had the, the two first-round picks they begin with in the top 10. They trade into the first round for Jermaine Johnson. Brees Hall's gotten a lot of rave reviews here. So in terms of the rookies here, who do you think is the most exciting one thus far? Oh, man. I think it's, you know, it's tough. There's so many picks there, man. I, like, I, I think Brees Hall is going to show the most excitement and explosiveness as, as a rookie. Uh, I think you know he's playing a position where it's it's not uncommon at all to see players, uh, you know, at that position to see running backs kind of take the NFL by storm. And if he gets his looks, if he gets his snaps, and the offense around him is at least capable, I think that he is going to be primed for a big, big season. Yeah, for sure. I got the defensive side of the ball for a bit here, especially. I mean, defensive line. I mean, getting Jermaine Johnson in the draft was good. The Jets also quietly built some depth into that defensive line. Getting Carl Lawson back is going to help. I mean, they brought in Michael Clemens, they brought in Solomon Thomas. They have a lot of buys in that line. Right? I mean, I'm reading some articles here, and, like, there are guys that just could cut. I feel like our teams are actually going to pick up and be useful players because they have a lot of depth on the defensive line. Oh, yeah, I, definitely. I think that that, you know, that defensive line is the deepest position group on the team, and, and Robert Sala wouldn't have it any other way, right? Like, that's his philosophy is you can never have too many edge rushers, and 
The Jets certainly, you know, employed that philosophy this offseason. On top of returning Carl Lawson, you still have John Franklin Myers, who will play plenty on the edge, especially on early downs. Uh, and, you know, then you get Dre Johnson that you trade up for. You got Bryce Huff, Vinnie Curry, Michael Clemens, Jacob Martin. Like, the, the, the list goes on. Uh, they're legitimately six, seven deep at defensive end, which is, is crazy because not all those guys are going to make the roster. Even someone like Jabari Zuniga is having a very productive training camp. Uh, and he's probably not going to make the team, which is a shame. But, you know, they have so many players there. They have so much depth. I wouldn't be surprised if they flipped one of those guys maybe for a late-round pick at some point uh, because they, they just they have so much depth there. Yeah, it's also, I think, the biggest transformation on this team was then the, besides the skill position, was the cornerback, was the secondary because last year they lost Marcus May midway through the season. They decided not to go ahead and veteran corner, give all the young kids reps. They bring in DJ Reed. They draft Sauce Gardner to be the, basically their two starting corners. They bring in Jordan Whitehead to play safety with LaMarcus Joyner. I mean, the secondary has made a dramatic improvement as well. Yeah, for sure, man. I, I mean, the Sauce Gardner pick is, is, you know, I think Sauce Gardner is going to be the best Jets quarterback and first cornerback since Darrell Rebus, which it's not exactly a hot take, but I, I, I truly believe in him as a prospect. I think he was an exceptional prospect. Um, and then DJ Reed, you're bringing, it was one of my favorite free agent signings. It was a very, very underrated signing. Uh, I think it kind of got overlooked around the NFL, but he was very good last year. Uh, and then now Bryce Hall is, is essentially relegated to a backup role where Bryce Hall is probably starting on a third of the rosters in the NFL. Uh, and you know, that's, that's saying a lot that he's now your, your, your number four corner essentially because he's not in the slot. Uh, and then Jordan White is the guy I know the Jets are so excited about, not only from a, uh, you know, an on field standpoint, his performance, uh, but they love his mentality. They love that kind of alpha mentality that he brings on and off the field. He's a leader. And, and they were very surprised that Tampa just let him walk and that they were able to get him for as cheap as they did. Um, so, you know, I know the Jets are super excited about, about Jordan Whitehead, and I think he's someone that's going to become a, a fan favorite rather quickly. Yeah, and one thing I noticed, thing I noticed as we go through these conversations here is just the fact that we, we talk about it again, just the amount of depth they have, because this is a team that in the past, like, four or five years where their starting lineup looks like okay, and then if a bunch of guys get hurt, and you have guys who shouldn't be in the NFL basically pick, getting meaningful reps with them. Now you have guys who could start on other teams potentially backing, as backups here, which is the performing one you start building when you try and build a winning organization. Yeah, it's, it's, it's impressive how much depth that they've been able to build at so many different positions, like defensive end, corner, even I'd say like the interior offensive line. They got a couple of guys there, like Dan Feeney's a fine backup. Nate Herbig is a good backup. That was a good pickup in the offseason. They have three tight ends that they're, that they're confident in. Running back room's pretty deep. They have depth at almost every single position, and that's so crucial in today's NFL, where you know we saw last year the, the impact that injuries can have. And the fact that they have been able to build that depth means that they are protected in case you know the inevitable happens and injuries happen. We've already seen it with Mekhi Beckman. That's already one injury. Um, you know, there's bound to be more. So, you know, they're they're protected. They're, they protected themselves. They've gone and built out that depth, and that's that's one of the most important things they've done this offseason. It also would not be Jet Camp over the last four or five years. They've already talked about the kicking game here because ever since they let Jason Myers go, it's been revolving through our position. This year, it's Eddie Pinheiro came on late last year, made some made some good kicks down the stretch against Greg Zerline, known for his big leg here. I think this battle ends up breaking out. Who do you think ends up being the kicker on opening day, or is that guy not here yet? I think it'll be Greg Zerline. Um, from you know, from what everything that's been reported early on, it seems like he has the edge. Uh, I think they're just more likely to lean to him because he just does have it. He does have a bigger leg, and if you know, we, we've seen kind of how they they value that. They value that with Matt Amendola, and I think they'll value that with Greg Zerline, especially since he's he's more of a proven commodity. He has more experience in the NFL. He's been. Uh, you know, one time was one of the best kickers in the league. So as long as he doesn't kind of just come out and, and completely, you know, just self-destruct, I do think he'll be the guy. 
but it really just does come down to to preseason. If if Pinheiro makes all of his kicks and Zerline is inconsistent, then Pinheiro probably wins the job. But if I'm saying right now who I think it'll be my my money would be, I think the edge goes to Greg Zerline. Yeah, and Jet fans also know the last time the Jets took a cast off kicker from the Cowboys they ended up working out pretty well. Was Nick Folk was here about a decade. Yeah, that's true. I if you could you know forget Brett Mayer you know for a second, but. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you could forget about that here. And I think also one thing I'll keep in mind is obviously in training camp, you're always looking to see, you know, where position battles, where are the standouts here. I think the standout category is interesting for the Jets. I mean, they, it's like they have a lot of guys that are popping at campus here. There's a lot of rate reviews some of the beat guys who are out there. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think some, you know, people like, like a Jason Pinnock is a guy to keep an eye on. He was playing very well in the spring. And I think that, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure if he's going to be the guy this year. I, I do think LaMarcus Joyner still holds on to that free safety role, but I know the Jets love Pinnock, and, and they'd love to see him take on that role. Potentially, he could be your starting free safety in 2023. Uh, you know, that's somebody to keep an eye on, some really under-the-radar guys. I was at the uh, the green and white scrimmage, and I think a guy that popped to me was Calvin Jackson, undrafted free agent. Uh, he was interesting because they didn't even sign him originally as an undrafted free agent. He was one of the the two players that they signed after minicamp. Uh, or at rookie minicamp is just a tryout basis. They brought him in. He has some experience as a returner. Uh, he was very productive in that green and white scrimmage game. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if he pushes for one of those final roster spots. I'm not sure he gets it, but I think he could sneak his way at least onto the practice squad. Yeah, if you watch Last Chance You on Netflix, that's that's the same guy, that Calvin Jackson. So it'll be fun to see how yep. he does in the preseason. Yep, absolutely. I, and I think that uh, you know he's somebody that can make an impact. Maybe somebody like an Herb Charles. I know people love you know the the undrafted guys and keeping on bam night you know the running back out of nc state is another dude who you know i think he'll make the practice squad at least uh you know there's, there's some there's some fun guys down there kind of you know towards the bottom of the roster um but i think the jets are so deep this year that you know a lot of those guys just aren't gonna make the team like you're realistically looking at we talked about it before you know somebody like vinnie curry is right now probably on the outside looking in which is, is crazy to say but that's just it just shows how deep that the, the jets are at most positions yeah, that's the thing that's interesting with them because I feel like unlike a lot of years where you're like, oh, we're battling to see who the quarterback is or who's going to be the starting left tackle. I feel like you're looking now at the battles or like who's going to make the end of the roster, like who's going to be the fifth receiver between like Jeff like Jeff, Jeff Smith or Denzel Mims or like who's going to be the fifth defensive end that they're going to carry and two other guys are going to get cut or trade. I feel like that's the stuff you're really watching the camp battle front. Right, yeah. I mean, there's very few legitimate position battles uh, going on, like, yeah, for the starting job right now for the Jets. You have, obviously, a kicker. We talked about it already. Uh, in, in theory, there's a corner, but there's a battle with Sauce Gardner and Bryce Hall, but Sauce Gardner is going to win it. Uh, in theory, there's one at tight end, but it seems very likely that Tyler Conklin wins it. There's very few uh, that I can think of off the top of my head that are really like, actual position battles where you don't know who the starter is going to be. Um, you know, that, and that, I think that says a lot about the, the, the current positioning of the roster because generally the worse the team is, the more unsure and uncertain certain position groups are. So it's very it's very promising to see that most of the Jets starting uh, lineup is, is pretty much set in stone. Yeah, and I was, I was, it's preseason important then because they come out of the regular season, like they got sort of the odds that the Giants got where they got all their easy games late and they NFL sort of load up the schedule. A lot of the hard games, like weeks one to nine, they have they basically played through the AFC North the first four weeks. They got a lot of Buffalo, Green Bay, et cetera, early on in the season here. Like looking at that schedule here, like what do you think like they have to do to sort of get through that and say, okay, like we get the second half, our schedule lightens up, we have a chance to make a run here and get ourselves into the wild card hunt. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's all about surviving that that first half of the season, kind of, because it's, it's a pretty brutal half. Uh, obviously, you start off playing the, the entire AFC North, and you get you know, the Dolphins there, the Packers, Broncos. It's, it's a tough schedule. Uh, really, up until that, that, that Patriots, maybe the second Patriots game, the Bears game, it is, it's a very, very difficult schedule. 
Uh, and then, you know, you're realistically looking at if the Jets don't live up to expectations, if they kind of fall short, like they're, they're realistically looking at like a, a, you know, a one and seven, two and six start. Like that's absolutely on the table and they can't have that. Like they, they need to avoid that. Uh, so, you know, I know it's tough with a young team, but you kind of really got to hit the ground running. You got to come out week one, put on a competitive showing against Baltimore. I'm not saying you have to win, but you can't get blown out by two, three scores. Like you just can't have that happen. Uh, and you have to steal a couple of games from teams you're, you're supposed to lose to. You know, I know Jets fans will circle the game against the Browns, even the Steelers, and they'll be like, these are winnable games. They're still going to be underdogs in those games. Even if it's Jacoby Brissett starting, or, you know, they're, they're going to be underdogs in those games. So the winnable games, the games where, you know, they, they're still underdogs, but they have a fighting chance, they need to steal those games, and they need to show that they can compete with, with the better teams. Yeah, I think the Jets hit their hand, too, when they brought Dwayne Brown in as the guy to replace Mekhi back to me because you don't bring in a 36-year-old left tackle if you're if you're looking to just, you know, steadily build. Like, they really legitimately think they can have a shot this year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's about that. It's also about protecting Zach Wilson. But you, you're absolutely correct. I think that the Jets do believe that if Wilson takes the steps that they hope he will, uh, there's no reason they can't be playing competitive games in December. Now, it's obviously a stacked conference. They have a tough schedule. They're they're fighting, you know, from behind the eight ball already because of that. But there's no reason that this Jets team can't win seven, eight games if Zach Wilson uh, plays like a number two overall pick and he plays the way that the Jets hope he will. I'm not saying he has to be an all-pro. I mean, he doesn't have to be Justin Herbert or whatever this year. But if he plays like a league average quarterback, then the Jets could realistically win seven, eight games. Absolutely. Yes, I think for me, if you're a Jet fan and you can take four and five at the bye, you sign for it immediately because that means some, you probably got all your winnable games and you stole one somewhere along the way. Oh, for sure. If, you, yeah, if you're if you're winning four or five games before the bye, then yeah, the Jets should be playing meaningful games in, in December. Absolutely, Justin. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, I'll be following social media keep up with some of your coverage over at the Jet Press. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. You can follow me on Twitter at Justin P. Freed, F-R-I-E-D, spelled like fried, pronounced like Freed. Uh, also on Twitter at The Jet Press. And yeah, if you want to read some uh, stuff, you can go to thejetpress.com and check me out there. Absolutely. And for the fans who do not quite get the pronunciation, think of the Brave Pitcher. It's the same pronunciation. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I was very happy when, when the Braves drafted him and when he got it, when he made it to the, uh, to the MLB because I was like, yeah, there's, there's another one out there. Maybe people will get it now. <laughs> yeah, well, I got it from that, Justin. Thanks for all the time. Really appreciate it. Appreciate you, Mike. It's that time of year again. Hard Knocks is back on HBO. The NFL is just weeks away from returning. We are getting ready to cover it all. This season's Hard Knocks focusing on the Detroit Lions. I don't know any Lions fans, but I did get our pop culture correspondent who, like me, roots for a very bad franchise. Sandra Rose is here. Sam, how are you? Uh, I'm doing great. I feel like I don't have a bad franchise, but a not amazing franchise. Well, our franchises both have like sucked for the most part for about like the past like ten years. Yeah, but you know what? It's good to stay true and true to our uh, our team. I mean, I am repping the Jets shirt tonight just to honor our appearance in Hard Knocks in 2010, which is probably one of my favorite seasons of all time. <laughs> I was gonna say, crap! I'm not repping my team, so uh, nobody watches on YouTube. No, no, the YouTube version will get some looks. Okay, all right. <laughs> yeah, but like hard, like 
What's your history of the hard knives? Are you a big fan of the thing? Um, I'm like a an active listener. Uh, I feel like this season I'll watch more because I am like loving the head coach Dan. Um, but normally I kind of just like I tune in, I tune out when I want to. Uh, but this season has really made made me want to watch the entire thing. So it's basically team dependent. Yes, yes, definitely. I can get that because, like, I'm a big football like, junkie, so I'll watch it regardless of who's on here. But, like, some teams have been more boring than other ones. And, like, this team feels like they're going to be exciting. Exactly. I have, like, a, I have very good hope that they're going to do well. But then again, uh, I always put my all my eggs in the wrong basket. Yeah. I remember when they made the pick, I think, back before the draft. They said, oh, Detroit's going to be on Hard Knocks this year. I'm like, okay, I guess nobody wanted to do it, and I think they're one of the teams that could have been drafted to be on Hard Knocks, so they have somebody here. But I got to <laughs> say, with the coaching staff, with Aiden Hutchinson, I felt like there's potential here for this to have some interesting storylines. So far, so good. Definitely. I'm not going to lie to you. I was very upset because I'm like, why aren't the Jaguars being picked? Yeah. I feel like they would be such a great team to be following around, like especially because, like, it's the Jaguars and like Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. I guess if they couldn't get followed with Bortles or uh, Minshew Jr. or whatever, yeah. like they can't get Lawrence. But what, whatever. I'm just biased. Well, I think the Jaguars were exempt this year because they got a new coach. So I think if you have a new coach or you make the playoffs for a certain number of time, you're exempt from being in the thing. Or if you've been on it the last 10 years, like they have rules okay. that you can't be forced to do it. Like, I mean, Jaguars could have volunteered. They chose not to. Well, shame on them. Right, Mike. Maybe in the future they'll be on. I would love it. Oh my God. I'd be on every week with you. I'd make you talk with me through the entire thing. So the audience the Jaguars. So the audience knows that the Jaguars are next year's hard knocks team. Sam, I'll do weekly recaps of, of the episodes. Uh you better invite <laughs> me or I'll be I'd be upset. Yeah. I gotta say this episode though, like overall, was pretty good. I had a lot of fun watching these guys. I was not expecting that when I started this I started tonight. I was not expected like expected to like like this at all and I'm just like yeah let's go Lions like yeah. I rem- like I was watching it I'm like yeah like let's go let's win this whole thing yeah. um it was it was a great episode yeah and I always like to see how they started because usually like the first thing they show you is like the big tones they're sort of grabby for the season I remember especially during the uh COVID year I think in 2020 that the Rams and the Chargers on they started out with like Anthony Lynn talking to his team on Zoom and revealing that he had COVID and he hadn't told publicly. That really grabbed me that year. Dan mm-hmm. Campbell's speech here at the top of the show. Where he's talking about, like, here are all the different types of teams in the league. Like, we're here. We want to be here. Like, he was sucking me in, like, okay, I want to go play for this guy. I'm ready to get invested in the show this year. Um, I was like, is there an adult football league I can join? <laughs> yeah. Like, to be completely honest with you, this guy had me, like, revved up for the season. Yeah, I know. Campbell, like, he's a very mo- very inspiring head coach, and, like, his speech really, like, got you, like, excited to start watching this team and see what they do this summer. Exactly. And the fact that he has so much, like, you know, past and influence um, in the NFL, it's just like, yeah, this guy knows what he's talking about. Like, I was just so excited to just, like, hear from him. Yeah, it was, too. And I did like that they used that to get to the intro. I don't know if you follow, like, watch the credits regularly on these things. I thought this was so cool how they did it with, like, the Lions players working on basically the assembly line going on, being cut in with a car being built. I thought that was a lot of fun. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Yeah, it's like they do some creative stuff like that. I remember the Browns, they had, I think, a couple of years they had them like going into the Rock and Roll Hall, like going around like Cleveland and showing some hard steel workers. And like, mm-hmm. this was cool. I felt like this one fit, vibe much better than that. 
I agree. Yeah. Speaking of Dan Campbell, I feel like he was the star of this episode. We get a lot of stuff about his playing career. I mean, he's I remember him as a, with the Giants back in the day. He was with the with the Cowboys, a couple other teams. He retired. Tells a story about how he got into coaching and how he was invited for like a week of camp. He's invited for a training camp, and then he becomes an intern, and then he becomes a coach. And like it's a fascinating story to see all that Dan Campbell has gone through to get to where he is now. Yeah, the fact that, like, I'm not going to lie to you, I didn't know about Dan Campbell that much before watching this, to be completely honest with you. Yes, my family are diehard Giants fans, um, and I remember, like, you know, hearing about him, but uh, he just, I don't know, it's just, like, the way he was, like, portrayed in the NFL, like, doesn't seem like it matches up him as a coach, which is a good thing for me. Um, I just thought he was just like really awesome. He seems like such a hard worker, like he puts his all in. And I feel like that's what makes you like him so much, you know? Yeah, I know like Bill, like you got a lot from Bill Parcells who like was like running the running the team in Miami at the point when he retires and said, hey, come work for me. And then like he gets a lot out of the experience of Parcells. You see a lot of that mentality as a Jet fan who saw Parcells coach his team. Like there's a lot mm-hmm. of Parcells in him. Yeah. Um, he's... <laughs> He's just a funny dude. I just love it. I get to love it. We do get a great segment there. Like, if we come after that, we see the up-downs at practice where, like, they have the defensive, all defensive players, like, doing the up-down drill. And, like, Dan Campbell, defensive coordinator, doing it with them, which is, like, that's something, like, if I'm a, if I'm a player here, I'm, like, my coach really cares. Like, he wants us to do the work. I'll be more invested if, like, I see that my coach just, like, actually doing it with us opposed to just wandering around making, checking who's working, who's not. Yeah, and the best was, like, I don't know if it was just me, but like towards the end, I'm like, okay, go Dan, please don't give up. Yeah. Like, cause he yeah. was like getting slower and slower because you know, it's that's up downs are stupid hard. Yeah. You can pretend that you could do like 20, but in reality, after the fifth one, you're like sweating and dying. Yeah. Like I even tried doing up downs even like, you know, now, and I can barely get five done, but I was just like really like he's just so easily to root for. Yeah, he is, and like you saw at the end too. He's like basically see like he's starting to run out, like starting like run out of breath because he's like working so hard that he does get the job done. So good job, Dan Coach Campbell. Exactly, and his whole fact that he's like I was afraid I broke my wrist earlier, but I'm okay. You know, like such a football guy. Yeah, he is a massive football guy, and then. We get the moment of the episode here where we, I think this went viral even before the uh, show aired, this first episode. And we have one of the hard eyes we see the rookies like initiating with the team and like forming talents in front of there. I think later in the episode, we see one of the linebackers salsa dancing like in front of the, in front of the locker room. But we get, we get Aiden Hudson, the number two overall pick in the draft, singing Billy Jean. And I got to play the audio for the, uh, for the podcast listeners here because this is just too great to not share with you guys. This is again from HBO's Hard Knocks. She was more like a beauty queen in the movie scene. I said, Your mama, do me
This was amazing. I was laughing the entire time watching this. It was <laughs> so hilarious and amazing. Yeah, not only does Aiden Hudson have like a pretty good singing voice, he has the lyrics down. He's got some good moves to go with the song. <laughs> I just love like how he messes up in the beginning yeah. and then he's like, wait, 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 oh, no, no, I got this. And then like it cuts after they're singing to his family. He's like, yeah, they're like, yeah, you're really still, still living off that high of like performing. And I thought that was the funniest thing. Cause this is like Lily white boy from the suburbs of like Detroit yeah. singing Billy Jean and everyone's getting into it. It was amazing. It was so funny. Yeah, and you have to watch the video because at one point they cut to a big shot of the whole auditorium. There's a guy sitting in the second row, rips his shirt off, flings it forward. A guy in the front row and yell just grabs it one hand, no look, and he starts waving in the air like, this is incredible. I was going to say, if you're on TikTok, it's definitely trending on the For You page as well. So like... It's just amazing. Like, if you watch it over and over again, you can't even imagine. It feels like, like a glitch in the Matrix. Yeah, this is absolutely incredible. And it just makes you feel bad for you because he could have been on your team. Yeah. But he's not. So it's okay. Let Detroit have him. Like, we wouldn't have had that amazing moment. You know, you could have been singing Billie Jean in the Jaguar locker room. It would have been fun. But we also wouldn't have seen it because the Jaguars didn't want to be part of it. So... Yeah, I gotta say, though, he also was a star of this episode. Like, he was so, so fun. He was so fun, and he has, like, so much heart and hustle that he just wants to be on this team that you're just really rude for him, like, day one. Yeah, and, like, he's really won himself, won himself over with the team right there. And I gotta say, mm -hmm. karaoke night with the Lions is gonna, is gonna be a riot. I want to see this on the show. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm very excited to see how this keeps going. Yeah. I want to see if anybody if they have any more rookies singing in front of the in front of the uh, whole team here. See if anybody could top that. Uh they gotta. Yeah. So I mean, we got the salsa dancing right linebacker later on in the in the episode. He was pretty. Yeah, it's a pretty good moves. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. He was awesome. Yeah. Now we go on. Next thing I want to talk about here is these guardian caps, which I don't know if you've seen these around the league right now. Like they are these big, like poofy, look like giant, like like like. Have you ever seen like the inside of a like panic room at like an insane asylum like it, that's the kind of material it looks like and yeah and it looked like kind of like mushrooms on top of yeah. their helmet yeah they give them to the offensive linemen defensive linemen tight ends and linebackers to reduce like impacts on your head during practice and they look incredibly stupid but like they are very effective i think in terms yeah. of props i can't think of a more fun prop segment than like this is probably the most fun i have the props on hard Rock since the jets did the shakeways back in 2010 <laughs> Yeah, and as a trainer's kid, yeah. we want to have as much safety as we can for football, um, as long as it helps. Like, I mean, football's dangerous. They have the worst, you know, record of long-term injuries with brains and everything. Yeah. So if it helps, it helps. They look silly, but, like, it helps. I mean, it was interesting how they portrayed that whole thing, you know? Yeah. I did appreciate uh, Hank Fraley, the O-line coach, was saying, if I have a lineman here who worries about what he looks like on the field, he's in the wrong profession. That's very true. Yeah. And it's like a lot of, I feel like even kids watching this show are going to be like, that looks stupid. I don't look cool. And then just saying that, like, you know, it's it's a sheds a positive life, like safety over how cool or how good you look. Yeah, I think it'll be. I think it's definitely fun. I mean, last year, I think the prop segment was, I think the Cowboys riding bikes around camp. That was not as fun as this. Uh, yeah, definitely not. And it has the safety feature, so I feel like it's better. Yeah, it definitely was better here. And 
we get, I think also we get a very lousy practicing up here. And we had some fun with HBO. had like one point where like Dan Campbell's like, dang, Hey, stop the music. And then they actually cut the music out of the episode. And that was, yes. <laughs> yeah. There were some really awesome, like post-production yeah. edits in there that I really enjoyed. That was probably my favorite one. Yeah. And this probably was my, apart from Billy G's, my favorite moment of the episode is like Dan, like Dan Hill gives his impassioned speech about like how we gotta be better. And then, you see Jamal Williams in the huddle, and he's come from Green Bay where they win a lot. He spent last year in Detroit where they start like 0-13 before they win a game. And like he has incredible speeds about how like I about working hard, and, like I will I'm he gives, he's basically in tears about how much he wants to win, how he wants to like losing sucked and how it was not fun last year. He wants to have fun there. Like that one gotta be fired too. I'm like, like you are the man, Jamal. Like I am inspired by you right now. Right? Like you're we're one episode in and I don't know about you, but I'm already like really rooting for the freaking Lions yeah. to like win the the whole thing, the whole Super Bowl. Like yeah. I'm just like let's go Lions. Meanwhile, I'm like let's go Jaguars, but you know what I mean? Like they have these really great personalities which is, you know, all on the editing end for Hard Knocks, but they really, you know, make you love this team just so early on. Yeah, and this is an impressive episode considering most of the focus is on the coaching staff and, like, two players. Like, we haven't really seen most of the team yet. Yeah, I mean, like, I feel like the coaching staff, since they talk about how long, um, you know, how all of their coaches came from these backgrounds of, you know, professional NFL teams, especially, like, the quarterback coach, you know, not going to lie, he's my favorite right now. But, uh, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, I feel like, you know, they have, like, a lot of grit. Like, you know, yep. the whole episode is, you know, based upon, but um, it's, it feels like a different NFL team this year, you know? Yeah. And speaking of that coaching staff, I mean, we talked about, you referenced Mark Brunel, former Jack quarterback. He's their quarterback coach. Aaron Glenn's been a coordinator. He used to be corner on the Jets. Deuce Staley's on the team, is a running back coach. Antoine Randall is the receiver coach. Hank Fraley played an offensive line in the league for 13 years. Kelvin Shepard's a linebacker for a long time. They're, they said something, a fact, it's like basically that coach has a, 80 something years of combined NFL playing experience, which is like crazy to think about because now it's like they not many stats are constructed that way. Exactly. I just feel like there's just so much knowledge in like, you know, combined. It's just like, how can you not win? Yeah. You can't. I love that team. And like, I know like the personalities in that group are great. I also love the fact that Dan Campbell showed some respect for his coaches. I remember the story that Kelvin Shepard was talking about how like he was going for the interview, talking about, oh, I should just like, cut my hair so I can be more corporate. He's like, no, don't do that. You, I, I want you for you, not for like corporate NFL style. Exactly. He wants him for his knowledge, not for like how he looks. It's a very, it's a very, that was a very impactful scene. Yeah. Very empowering moment. I love to see that. Exactly. Yeah. And I feel like that's the most part. I feel like they had a dynamite, like 35 minutes, but the last 10 kind of like fizzle a little bit. Yeah. But you know, there's a bunch more episodes to go. So <laughs> It's never a tough spot because usually the first one's harder because they don't have a preseason game they can go to towards the end of it. Because like, I think the next three weeks are going to see like a preseason game basically be in the episode, which is going to help. But yes, yeah, I don't think they play either. I don't think they play my teams here. I don't do they? Do they play the Jaguars in preseason? I don't think so. Um, but I thought that they played during the season, but I could be wrong. Yeah, we'll see about we'll see about that. But I I think that. They would be an interesting one to see. Like if I know I think Trevor Lawrence made an appearance on Hard Knocks last year. I think he was in the, one of the mm -hmm. I think the Cowboys had played Jacksonville preseason last year. Like they can't remember him being on the show. Okay. If not, he was definitely on the in season one when they played the Colts. I never I remember that. 
Yeah, the Lions play the Jaguars on December 4th. Oh, so that's not going to be preseason, unfortunately. Yeah, but in season, I could just be upset about who I'm going to root for. Well, the Jaguars were on the in-season one last year because I remember infamously they knocked the Colts out of the playoffs. I beat them the last week of the season. Yeah, surprisingly. Yeah, and the Colts, I don't think have won down there, I think, like, something like eight years, which is insane. You think about how terrible the Jaguars have been for most of that time. Yeah, well, maybe it's just some Jaguars magic that they have. Yeah. Let's have some fun here. Give me the your MVP of the episode. Who is the most I mean, most valuable player in this episode? I mean, I feel like it's kind of a gimme, but, like, Aiden Hutchinson is my MVP. Yeah. So, like, you know, you meet his family. You know, his dad was, like, a Michigan guy. He's a Michigan guy. Like, it's just, like, all he knew is, like, Detroit. And he's just, like, I don't know what it is about this kid's energy, but he's, like, yeah, like, let's go. Like, you know, he's here to win. And, like, the fact when Dan Campbell was, like, no, 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 like, yeah, he got, you know, confused not confused but he got kind of like bamboozled in the play like he's gonna learn from that and go on and I just feel like yes I'm here for Aiden you know what I mean I'm very interested to see where he's gonna go yeah also underrated Aiden Hudson's scene was when he's in the ice bath with the uh, other rookie from who went to college in Memphis who was from Nigeria yeah oh my god that was somebody's like yeah so like you would do it again Michigan he's like uh no Memphis (laughs) like it was that was so it was such like a cute little scene like unnecessary completely but it was like it was nice it's a good character moment it was yeah it like seemed it was a nice you know team bonding moment yeah for me my mvp has to be dan campbell because like he was like we start with him we we really he really was the main character this episode and he has a lot of good moments in it the up downs was great and like his speech that inspired jamal williams's speech is great and i feel like I, i'm gonna be bold here I think he's the best coach who's had a hard knock since Rex Ryan. I mean, honestly, like, I'm not going to lie. I haven't watched every single hard knocks episode, but like, he makes me want to watch this entire season. Like he really like makes you want to like root for them. Plus like, he seems like, he seems like a, like an everyday kind of guy. Yeah. Which is crazy. when the guy who started his press conference, the trailers, you're saying how they're going to bite off kneecaps. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's funny that that's the guy here. And I think, I think this is a fun episode, and we watched it on HBO Max, which has had its own little fun. We got to talk about that a little bit. Definitely. Yeah, and I don't know if you've been following here since you're at the pop culture correspondent here, but like the HBO Max like saga has been crazy since the reports came out that they basically canceling nearly finished Black Batwoman movie to get a tax write off. They canceled the Scoob sequel for that same reason. They're moving series on this thing. I feel bad for the future of HBO Max because. This is one the streaming service I really love because the content they were producing was quality. Exactly. And like the fact that, and this is very specific, so I apologize to any listeners. You do Brendan Fraser wrong. Yeah. Like that is messed up. He's a great dude. I'm just upset because I'm a big Brendan Fraser fan, have been since I've basically been self-aware and his whole life was behind this bad girl. Yeah. movie and they just scrapped it yeah and in terms of like the movies being canceled here that gets canceled but the one with ezra miller is still on track uh i don't know if you've seen all the hilarious memes on twitter yeah. but it's like never know where ezra miller is gonna pop up in like you know a state and commit x you know felony but like i don't understand how that has gone this far like how is that okay 
I mean, they delayed the movie like six months trying to get Ezra under control. And that clearly has not worked. He's he's literally in a different state. It feels like every week and every week he commits some sort of criminal activity in a different state. Yeah. How has he not gone to federal prison yet? I just don't get it because I know that like this movie, I think they, they was a $200 million movie and like mm-hmm. apparently it's testing well with audiences. They're trying to like make it work in some way. I saw today that there's three options on the table right now, which is number one, Ezra calms himself down, goes on an apology tour and then they promote the movie. Two is a promotion without him at all, which seems like a disaster in its own right. Or three, mm-hmm. which is unlikely, but growing by the day, they scrapped the movie entirely, which would be insane. I mean, to be honest, at this point, I'm just ready for option three. He does not deserve a movie. He does not deserve an apology tour. Nothing. No. Just go away. He should go away. But, like, they are not doing that yet. And, like, from the general sense that they're merging with Discovery Plus and becoming a new service next year, so... I mean, I'll see what happens with that. The thing I'm worried about is that with in the cast cost cutting mode with this mer- with this merger, I am very terrified that we do not that I don't get the ending of Westworld. And I'm gonna be very upset if that happens. Yeah, I have not watched this new season at all because I'm still upset from last season. So I guess after the season is finished, I will come to you for your opinion if I should watch it or not. I will tell you right now, there's one episode left. This season is phenomenal. No way! They got back on track finally. All right, I'll wait till the season is over next week, and then I'll watch the whole way through. They done. But I'm, I've been. I mean, you and I have both talked about how upset we've been with Westworld. They really did a good job cutting down the storylines. There's really like three now to follow instead of like seventeen, like it was in season three. It makes okay. it makes more sense. They really streamlined the character focus. I think to like two or three main beats. They have some good twists in there. They, they do have Evan Rachel Wood back in a different role, which is a lot okay. of fun. But how's Maeve doing? Maeve has been active this season. She's had a big, got a big storyline going. In a good way? Yes. All right, I'll watch it then. You know me and my Maeve love. Yeah, it's basically, there's like three storylines. Like she and like, she and Caleb, Aaron Paul's character, share one. Bernard yes. has his, Bernard and Stubbs share one. And then uh, Del- and, uh, Evan Rachel Wood is playing a, like a character named Christina. She's the third uh storyline you follow all right maybe i'll watch from the beginning again and then go <laughs> ed harris is having fun this season also yeah yeah they have they all have right. yeah he, he has become like at the end of season three spoiler for anybody who has has not gotten that far in westworld just gave up like there's a host version of him running around now which is allowing him to basically be the actual man in black and it's like a robot killing machine all right so you're thank you for that because now i will definitely Invest some of my time. It's it's a worthwhile ride, especially what like when you're able to do it like on the binge. It'll, it'll last, although they, the binge may not recommend because there'll be points you're like, wait, what? I have to like understand this still. They still do that. Yeah. Okay, I'm excited. Yeah. So while you're here, like, what else do you have going on here? What are you What are you streaming that you're excited about? Um, let me just like you know you know how your beautiful podcast is all about the new things. Yes. I want to throw an old thing in there. Yes. Um, very underrated show, Frasier, yeah. is what I've been binging a lot lately. Yeah, it's a throwback. It's a big throwback because, you know, Cheers was the 80s into the early 2000s. Yeah. And then Frasier was like early to 90s into the like 2000s. And I mean, 80s into 90s. Apologies uh, for Cheers. Um, but it's hilarious. 
Yeah, I'm, I've always enjoyed the show. I've never really done the full rewatch, but like when I watched it, I did it. I did enjoy it. Well, if you can, now that's a lot of time and energy. Cheers to Frasier. Amazing. I love it. That's what I've been doing lately. And you know what? I never throw in like old stuff, but I wanted to throw in something old this time. That's a good call. Also, if you would keep up with Only Murders in the Building. I have not. I'm waiting till it's completely over, which I feel like it's now over. Two weeks left after this week. Two weeks. Okay. I thought there was like this week was the last week, but I'm a week ahead of myself. I'll say they do some they 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 do some creative choices here with episode structure again, which I did enjoy. Okay, awesome. I just know that I like want every single episode that I can get my hands on. Yeah. So I have to wait. I'm just I'd rather wait the extra two weeks and then watch. But that is definitely on my list. It is saved on my bookmark. Yeah, that that one I I recommend as well. And I will ask you since you were a game of person, you're gonna be on the House of the Dragon. Uh, yeah, wait, when does that actually start, though? The 21st. It's, it takes over the Westworld slot. I, okay, got you. Yeah, no, I am very invested in that. That's what I'm going to try to keep on track of as much as I can. Yeah, uh, on the Sky Guys podcast last week, Nick Friday talked about this a little bit. We think that Andor, his theory is that Andor went backwards because Disney was terrified of running it up against this show and the Lord of the Rings show coming up in early September. Uh, which I hope you're as equally pumped for, for as like, as for me. I actually, actually never you like. That? Could you try again? Yeah. Okay, Siri. But I oh, yeah. Siri, yeah. Siri is Siri wants to make an appearance in your podcast today. Yeah, yeah. Siri responded to you. Oh my goodness! Sorry, yeah. I apologize. Yeah. Wait. So have you not seen Lord of the Rings? I'm not a big Lord of the Rings guy. No. <gasps> no, <laughs> Mike. Is this a like a little riff in our friendship? I hope not. <laughs> no, I'm just playing. Yeah. But uh. I am so pumped for the Lord of the Rings show. Yeah, that's coming. I think the in early September that's coming out. So that's going to be one that people are very pumped about. That's one reason Nick's thinking here that like they don't want to run right into these two shows. They're going. He thinks the part is they push back is to say you know what's let people do them and if they suck a little bit, maybe they'll come on and say oh the new show. Let's go check this out. Yeah. No, I I agree. That's uh that's a smart idea. But I will be here for the House of Dragon and the Lord of the Rings show. Yeah, fun. all live. Yeah, fun stuff here. I also did watch Lightyear recently. I realized that I can't sit and watch a movie in my living room yeah. unless I don't know. But I'm gonna try again. But the ten minutes I watched, it was pretty cool. It, it's a very, in my opinion, it's a very mid movie. Yeah, no, I liked the idea of it. I got to the part where he just kept like going for the test ride. Yep, and then like his partner kept getting older and older. And then I got upset about it and I turned it off because I was like, "Mm, I don't want to watch this. So I'll go back eventually. Like that part, like I was in and like, it slowly lost my interest as the movie went on. Okay, cool. So it's not just me. It's like a, it's a regular person thing. Yeah. It's like, it's thank when I call this in this, in the, in the uh, summer movie preview, we said this movie should be very mid, except it did not make a billion dollars and not make any, pretty much any money. Yeah, well, I guess I can see that. Hopefully, it gets better. Does oh. it get better? Uh, I did. I was. I gave it like a C when I watched it. That was my grade on it. Uh, and you're so nice in giving grades to movies. Yes. Mm, maybe I'll skip it. Who knows? Who knows? Let's keep the fans guessing. Yeah, well, we'll for Pop Culture Party 4, you can place your best right now if Sam will have watched Lightyear by that point. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, and Sam, thanks for all the time. Really appreciate it. Before I let you out, if you follow on social media, you some of the stuff you're up to. Uh, Twitter, S-D-E-R-O-S-6. Uh, you can find me on TikTok at Sam in Sports. Uh, I post some fun things. Yeah, you certainly do. Kind so of. Make sure you check that out, Sam. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, and that will do it for this week's show. I want to thank my guest, Phil Ferreira, for coming on to talk all about The Captain, the final episode of the docu-series on Derek Jeter. Justin Free from the Jet Press did a lot of stuff on the Jets. Big week for them. The injury to Mekhi Becton. Talk about what they could do going forward here. Expectations for the year. And you guys heard from Sandra Rose, our pop culture correspondent. We did Hard Knocks, some other stuff, fun stuff there. More good stuff like this podcast, including my look at how worried we should be about the Yankees' poor play for the last month or so, and they have not been good of late. Check out the blog over at justinthesuffering.wordpress.com. So check out the Sky Guys podcast. We took came back on a little break last week. Nick Friday joined me. We broke down the new Andor trailer along with the news that the show itself has been delayed for three weeks. We also have some episodes coming this week. The Lego Star Wars Summer Vacation. We recap that, Nick and I. That is... On the Sky Guys podcast feed, those both are Sky Guys exclusive. So if you want that stuff, check out the Sky Guys podcast. Again, same podcast platforms mentioned at the top of the show. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. And that's going to do it for this week's show. Coming up next, we're going to dive into the world of college football. We'll be joined by Bill Bender of the Sporting News. We're going to talk about that. Talk a little She-Hulk, a little Marvel's action, and more. So then, have a better week than Red Sox fans. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.